I'm Andy Shipley. And I'm Holly Booker. And welcome to episode five of the Seasonal Sensation podcast. And because we're celebrating the solstice, we've invited Rachel DeSuma from Australia to join us again. Hi, Rachel, and welcome. Hi, Andy and Holly. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So the theme for this episode is the summer solstice, um, otherwise known as festival solstice or midsummer. And this marks the longest day in the Northern Hemisphere um, and the end of spring and the start of summer. Around the time of the summer solstice, areas of Norway, Finland, Greenland and Alaska and other polar regions experience midnight sun. And in the Arctic Circle, the sun doesn't set at all. And that must be so weird to have 24 hours of sun just don't know how they deal with that uh, yeah in the uk the summer solstice can fall anywhere between the 20th and the 22nd of june each year the event happens when the sun points directly over the tropic of cancer and its lowest point over the tropic of capricorn and in the southern hemisphere of course it marks the shortest day and the start of winter so that's what you're experiencing now rachel yeah that's right really noticing the shortness of the days and the um, desire to hibernate. And um, now the sun sets really early, like around 6.30 or something like that. So it's cold and dark and really noticing that shift into winter. So now it's time for seasonal observations. And it's been quite a while since our last podcast. So there've been lots of things to notice. Um, in my garden, I've planted my flowers out of my pots into a flower, a flower bed. Um, and I've got some hanging planters over my garden fence. So all my flowers are now starting to come out, which is really attracting the insects. Um, bees, moths, butterflies, everything like that coming out in my garden, which is brilliant. And I've noticed because I live near the Peak District, the heather is starting to come into leaf on the moorlands. And heather's a plant that's only really found on moorland and heathland. And it's just starting to come into leaf at the moment. Um, but in July time, that heather will start to flower. It's sort of famous purple flowers. And if you go up there um, in July when it's in bloom, it, you can really smell it. Um, oh. And I don't know if you've ever had heather honey, but it's it, the heather honey just smells like heather, the flower and the honey smell exactly the same it smells delicious so while I've been driving home from work because I've been back at work now since the middle of May I've seen a red kite uh, flying over which is quite rare for Derbyshire I know that red kites are quite a common species now in lots of parts of the UK after being reintroduced um, for example like Oxfordshire you, you can just see them all the time um, very but in, common here over are they that, yeah. yeah it's really nice yeah, it's but, not synonymous with the area now because it's this is where they were reintroduced. Yeah. So that yeah, they're very very ubiquitous. Yeah, and we hardly get any, so it's quite a, a novelty for me to see one. And it was even more of a novelty because it was being mobbed by the uh, nesting curlews. Really? Top of the hill. Yeah. So curlews are a strange looking bird anyway, with their huge, big, long, curved beak, and to see those chasing a red kite which is another distinctive bird of prey with 
big forked tail. It was quite spectacular. And uh, yeah, I was trying very hard not to cause a traffic jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, on the subject of um, scents, the May blossom is, of course, out all over the place now. But it was a little bit late this year because of the colder weather that we had in mm. early May. Yeah. So it's absolutely, the hedgerows are just look like it's been snowing now because of all the May blossom. Uh -huh. And it's got a very distinctive smell. I wouldn't say it's a pleasant smell, but it's quite distinctive and definitely a kind of reminder of the start of summer. And another flower that's also just starting to come out is elderflower, uh, which also has a rather strange smell. Mm. Elderflower and elderberry, the elder tree, is one of those things, strange plants that smell really weird but you can make some fantastic tasting mm. things out of them. So yeah, elderflowers are coming out. Uh, and I, I always intend to gather some and make some elderflower fritters. Oh, fritters. I thought yeah, you were going to say dip, wine or cordial. Mm. No, you can dip the flower heads into batter and then fry them. And they kind oh. of make like crispy, tasty, uh, sort of a sweet thing. You dip them, dip them into some sugar. Really mm. nice. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned, I've been back at work since the 17th of May. So I'm finding that I've got less time to spend in nature now. And I'm, I'm really, really missing it. So I need to make more of an effort now that I'm back at work to get out into nature. I think a lot of people are in the same boat at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I've had lots of time sort of furloughed or working from home. Many people have, not everyone. Um, and had lots of chance to get out into nature. And now I think... A lot of people are back at work and I really mm. hope that people don't forget to make time for it in their lives because I think it's, it's benefited a lot of people. And a real lifesaver, I think. For, yeah. For quite a few. Yeah. Um, so uh, what have you been noticing, Andy? Yeah. Well, as you say, a lot. It's been a while since our last podcast that a lot has happened, hasn't it? And um, yeah, like you were saying, I've noticed everything is much later coming on. You know, the, the, the flower, when we had that spell of uh, cold, wet and windy weather, everything sort of just paused, didn't it? And um, yeah. so the sort of, you know, the, the buds didn't properly develop and the blossom was delayed. And I think consequently, a lot of insects also paused their hatching, didn't they? And just didn't come out, which has affected uh, sort of the first um, hatch, hatchings, doesn't it? The first broods of birds. And uh, that have nested. On the subject of insects, I was noticing, noting the other day that I've been outside quite a bit while it's been hot and sunny over the last couple of weeks, and I haven't been bitten by anything yet. And normally, some little oh. critter decides to bite me as soon as I go outside in the sunshine. That's, that's and how I know. haven't Summer's been right. bitten. Right. So, where are they? Mm. That's what I want to mm. know. Yeah. So, that's. Yeah, obviously, with the wind and the rain was very evident, but I think also the absence of insect life uh, was also very apparent. Yeah, and, and I've been travelling quite a bit as well over the last few weeks. Spent quite a bit of time in Wiltshire on the bank holiday weekends uh, on a boat. And one really lovely experience there was a family of swans paid us a visit. Uh, it was both parents and five cygnets, and they um, swam up to us, and we were... We shared our, our supply of porridge oats with them. And what was really interesting was when the oats landed on the water, the parents sort of withdrew 
and allowed the signets to come in and, and, and eat the oats and just kept completely away from it and left all the food for the, for the signets. And then when they finished, the parents would hammer on the side of the boat with their beaks, demanding more food for their babies. Um, <laughs> it was just really lovely. So of course we obeyed and uh, obligingly gave them more food until we ran out of forage. Um, <laughs> so you were starving, but at least the signets. Yeah, so we had then. to go home. We, yeah, we went without breakfast, but at least the, uh, the swans, the swans were fed. But it's just interesting how they just deferred to the to the babies, and I suppose they must have then foraged for themselves. You know, a, a more suitable suitable moments. Yeah, uh, it's just really interesting. What else? Yes, and in the same stretch of canal, built further along, there's a resident heron. You know, and we go for walks and he'd be there, you know, in these sort of statuesque pose, staring intently at the water, waiting for a fish to swim by. Um, what else? Oh, yes. And while we were out on a walk, we, we, we spotted uh, a green hair streak butterfly, tiny little green hair streak. Oh, beautiful. Mm. Uh, like a little yes. emerald. Yeah, exactly. Emerald. Yeah. Perfect. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And we had to look it up to identify it. But as you say, um, uh, that's how um, yeah Justin described it as being uh, yeah they do a, a magical disappearing act because they fly around you can see them flying but they're only little and green but then they land on a plant and close up their wings mm. and they're gone wow. it's like where the butterfly go just <laughs> gone <laughs> so ca well camouflaged yeah mm. yeah wonderful. lovely butterflies yeah um so I've also just come back from Scotland. Uh, so I heard a few different species of birds whilst there. Um, warblers, willow warblers and sedge warbler, mm. um, which is really lovely. And a reed bunting as well, which was my first conscious uh, experience of hearing reed bunting song. Lovely. Um, and also nearby, this is all around where my parents live, uh, there's, a, there's a little wood which have a family of ravens there, so regular cronking coming from that wood, uh, both parents, and you can hear the, the, the babies, the chicks as well in the nest there, demanding, demanding food from their parents. And their parents Andy, are... hmm? sorry to interrupt, but I feel a bird impression coming on. Oh, you're going to cronk for us? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, oh, I was okay. once out on a walk with a group of explorer scouts. So they're 14 to 18 year olds. And uh, we were out on the moors one day and I heard a raven. So I said to them, oh, did you hear that raven? And they were like, oh, right. And I said, I can talk raven, I can speak to them. And they went, no, you can't. So I said, yeah, I can watch this. So I went, ah, 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 ah. And then this raven flew over and made the same noise back to me. I was like, see? <laughs> I can talk right. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Scary. That's my little bird impression yeah. of the day. They, but they do talk, don't they? That's you know when we were listening and the babies were there and the, the parents were, were obviously replying, but it, it it had a different sort of tonal quality as though they were reassuring. Yeah. You know the chicks. Yeah, it was really lovely to hear. They're very vocal, very vocal, mm. and they're very intelligent, of course, so they probably are talking in their own mm. way. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. in Australia, yeah. the ravens sound different to in Europe. We, um, I was doing a forest therapy guiding course, and 
one of the women from um, Hong Kong was like, what's that bird that sounds so sad? It just sounds really mournful. And we're like, oh, I'm a mournful sounding bird. You know, I wonder what that can be because, you know, we hear ravens all the time and that's just the sound they make here. And it's, it's like a... Quite sort of mournful and plaintive sort of tone. Totally different to our ravens as well. Yeah, yeah, I feel I'm letting the side down now. I haven't got an impression for you. I'll I'll throw something in later. It's um, becoming a tradition, the bird impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, yeah. As I say, letting the side down. What else? Oh, yes, we we were visit. But there's a sort of resident community of red squirrels as well, where they live, and uh, we we had regular visits from one or oh. two, and they have this the same route across the garden that they follow, and it's yeah, they cut across the garden and then skitter away across the, the stone dike at the end of the uh, at the end of the garden, back mm-hmm. to there you know, back to the woods that they, that they live in. Oh. And they're, yeah, and they're quite different in colouring. They're, they're, uh, there's a very dark one, almost black. And then there's, there's one that um, has a little sort of golden blonde um, tip to his tail. Yeah, so they're individually quite distinctive. And we haven't heard, I haven't heard them, but they have a really unusual sound when they're, when they're um, sort of chattering to each other. Or when Come on, Andy. Morning. Come on, so Andy, this is like, your time to shine. Like that. Woo! <laughs> How cute! Yeah, they are. They do sound. Yeah, they sound quite different to grey squirrels. Uh, yeah, definitely more cute than grey squirrels. You know, in, in the way they sound as well as how they appear. Yeah. They look. That, that, um, I've never heard of red squirrel, but I'm sure that was an accurate representation of their noise. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here in Australia, it's the one continent that doesn't have squirrels, so we don't have, yeah, any squirrels here. Do you have any members of that sort of family, like chipmunks, ground squirrels, like any sort of rodenty things? There's lots of rodenty things, yeah. I was going to talk about some a bit later, but the closest thing would probably be the sugar gliders. We've got sugar gliders here. (gasps) They're they're like a flying squirrel, aren't they? Is that right? Well, yeah, they're, they're fly. They've got like a um, flap between their paws and, yeah, they'll launch themselves from tree to tree. They're Where so do you get cool. those flaps from? I'd love, I love a set of those. <laughs> you can get them. You can get suits that, that have got a flap between your arms and legs and you jump off a mountain and fly down in them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a one-way trip. <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So it is a one-way trip, but hopefully you survive <laughs> it and get up for the box. <laughs> it looks like immense fun. Yeah, oh, I love the sound of that. Yeah, okay, I'll look into that. Uh, the other thing, just to pick up on your, your uh, reference to scent, yeah, I've been very conscious of the scent of wildflowers as well. And what I've really noticed, I think mainly um, cow parsley, which is a, quite a quite a pleasant fragrance, and there's a lot of it around here at the moment, wherever you walk, you know, in the countryside, uh, and gorse as well. Although that's beginning to go over now, it's, you know, it's quite well past it. But um, and it has a very distinctive sort of coconutty aroma, doesn't it, gorse? Yeah, it's lovely. 
Mm. And uh, yes, and I just want to finish going back to Scotland. This one of my most memorable experiences was encountering this really ancient hawthorn tree. You know, it's, it had a, a trunk the size of a, I don't know, um, medium-sized silver birch, I would say and really robust branches which were just festooned in lichen and uh, a species of parasitic fern growing in one of the one of the branches um, wow yeah that is uh, that is interesting to see isn't it because um you don't because hawthorns are like a hedge species yeah. in this country you don't normally um get them as big trees do you they sort of get chopped down and kept a certain size normally yeah i was just flabbergasted by how by how large it it is um yeah. so yeah and i suppose just to finish the um birds laying eggs you know for a second brood as well so they're they're, they're getting on getting on with trying to um overcome the problems they had during that cold spell and so many so many broods and nests being destroyed by the wind and rain what have you noticed, Rachel? Oh, well, I've been noticing um, kind of the change of the seasons and, and heading into winter. Um, it's a lot quieter. So the bird song in the morning is a lot less pronounced and it's probably only a few birds around my window or that I'm hearing kind of call in the mornings now. And I'm um, just this general sense of animals going to ground a little bit. I've been hanging out on the coastline um, by the beach and I started noticing these little um, creatures darting in and amongst the bushes. Um, and first I thought they were like little rats, um, but I think they're actually um, this antichinus species, which is like a native um, marsupial that looks like a rat, but actually more closely related to the Tasmanian devil and quolls. Um, so, um, they're really cute and they've got this long nose and dart around. They hop a little bit more than oh. like rats will dart around. So that's that's one of the differences there and they eat insects. Um, and so they tend to hang out in um, the scrublands and stuff. And um, what's really interesting about them as well when I started to research is that um, the males will start breeding soon and they do what's called suicidal reproduction. So they'll mate with several females and then spend all their energy in mating and then pass away. Um, so that was really strange. There's not that many species that do that now. And I was like, oh, I never knew that about antichinus. So, um, yeah, yeah. And then being by the bay, I've also noticed dolphins in our bay. So where I live, it's on Bunurong country, um, which is Bunurong people, part of the Kulin Nation. And so, um, yeah, they're in the, in the Bay of Port Phillip, which they call Nam. There's sometimes dolphins that come in, either common or bottlenose dolphins. I don't know which sort they were because they were at least 50 metres off the shore and quite small and just watching them arc in that beautiful way that dolphins do with their fins. And, and there was about three of them at least kind of in this one area and they kind of kept kind of swirling around this one area and, and jumping and like there must have been some kind of food there for them because they just stayed there and we watched them for quite a while which was 
Really lovely. And then the other thing I've been noticing up in the skies has been um, Bunjil, the creator spirit, which is um, the wedge-tailed eagle. They have a wingspan of about two metres and to watch them fly is just incredible. And often they're flying up quite high, um, catching the thermals and like circling through those currents. And so they don't look like big birds when they're that high up, but when you see them up close, wow, they are impressive. Um, I saw one being chased by a magpie um, the other day and the magpie is kind of like chasing it out of its territory. And this magpie is like, dwarfed by the the wedgetail eagle and it's just um I just think it's incredibly brave it's almost like a David and Goliath battle you know because of uh, the wedgetail eagles are quite you know um, amazing predators so yeah that was really fascinating to watch them and um the other thing I noticed before doing a forest walk um it was this giant male kangaroo and I saw him as kind of like the guardian for the place where I was I was walking because he kind of hangs out in the meadow just before the entrance um, to the park. And he's ginormous. It's got like a six pack and, and arm yeah. muscles and everything. You know, you wouldn't take him on. He's like about the size of a bouncer and um, just kind of casually lounging, you know, and um, just watching, you know, what was going on. But, yeah, amazing to um, to see him as well. I was imagining the kangaroos all getting together and doing their weights and like working out together to get all those muscles. They do look really strong, don't they? They are very strong. I'd be quite scared, I think, by a large kangaroo. Yeah, yeah well, the male kind of um, looks after several females. So I think they do have these like, you know, territorial and, and herd battles. So they do need to keep in shape to keep, you know, as as the I mean top dog or top kangaroo um of the of the group. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess speaking to your point of hawthorns, Andy, um I was out in the countryside back in May and um well, the hawthorn berries were were fruiting here and hawthorns an introduced species. Um yes. and it tends to kind of dominate you know along the roadside so um a lot of just plentiful berries and I just wanted to harvest them all and we're driving you know 100 k's an hour past all these berries I'm like oh it's such an abundance here you know hawthorn berries so do you do you have any birds that come and eat all the hawthorn berries um if they're an introduced species I was just wondering because obviously here we get all field fairs and red wings and thrushes that come and eat them but is there anything that eats them where you are that's such a good question. Um, to be honest, off the top of my head, I don't know. I mean, we have some introduced bird species as well, like the blackbirds and the starlings. So I wonder if they eat them because they do get spread. So something must be eating them, but I'm not sure who. Yeah. Yeah, they would eat them in this country. So probably the same birds are eating them over there as well. And probably others, you know, just fruit eaters generally, berry eaters, you know. Yeah. That's a really interesting idea, isn't it? You've got almost got a little um, an ecosystem of introduced species, you know, of uh, food sources that support the introduced birds. Mm. So now it's time for our mindful moment. If you just like to find somewhere comfortable and um, just relax and uh, close your eyes. 
just inhale, take a couple of deeper breaths. And with every inhalation, just to allow yourself to relax. Take one more breath. And just now just breathing normally. Let your weight drift down towards the earth. Feeling gravity's pull. Let your attention follow it earthwards, passing down through your body through your hips, your knees, your ankles. And just now imagine roots emerging from your feet and spreading in all directions, penetrating the earth and connecting with the network of plant roots and fungal threads that are present just beneath the earth's surface. Notice the feeling of connection and just feel into it strengthening, holding you closer to the earth as you're held in place, close to the land and the earth's world wild web of life. We're now at the turning point of the year. From now on, depending on where you are in the world, the cycle of light will reverse. In the north, our days are shortening, and in the south, a light is returning. So in the north, if you're in the north at the moment, just spend a few moments reflecting on what you would like to bear fruit. The seeds that were planted in the spring have now grown and are approaching the time where they were beginning to turn, ripen and turn into fruit. So just spend a few moments reflecting on the actions that you need to take to help these come to fruition. And just visualize the realization of a fruitful outcome. If you're in the South, bring to mind those fruits that you've nurtured through the year and which you'd like to sustain you through the winter months. Just spend a few moments bringing each of them to mind. Reflect on how you'd like to retain them and how they are of value to you. Wherever you are in the world, I'd now just like to invite you to express gratitude for the process of growth in a manner that you feel is appropriate. Now bring your mind back to your roots. 
gently withdraw them back into your feet. And when you're ready, gradually open your eyes. Welcome back. Well, that was great, Andy. Really nice to reflect on things that, that have, have come into being, especially um, since we started doing these podcasts, because I mentioned earlier my garden that I've planted. So that's literally things have been planted in the ground. And now you can see kind of the fruits of your labours that when all the flowers are coming out. But yeah, also in, in life as well, you know, there's things that I've wanted to do, like leading more guided walks in nature um, and uh, things are starting to happen there as well. So I've got more walks planned now. So it kind of does feel like things are starting to are moving forward um, this year. And uh, I think having these reminders and kind of check-ins every, every month or so has really helped to keep me thinking about where things are going so yeah thank you that's great that's great yeah and I think obviously these podcasts are another example of a a seed that we both sowed back in the spring and um you know uh is is um steadily growing and um, indeed yeah hopefully bearing fruit for uh for other people as well as us yes I hope so yeah, I really love the gratitude piece at the end as well, like reflecting on, you know, what, what to be grateful for. And uh, that just brings me deeply into connection and noticing again. And so that's really nice to do as well. I'm very conscious that I don't do enough of that as a practice as well. And I need to be more mindful of the gifts that I've received and just the simple things that are often you know the most important but the things that i often take the most you know most for granted so note to self really <laughs> just just a bit of gratitude for the simple things so now it's time for fascinating facts so there's lots of fascinating facts around the uh, solstice in the northern hemisphere lots of events take place that celebrate the maximum period of daylight in Dawson City in Yukon, Canada, there's an overnight golf tournament that takes place every year on the solstice um, to take advantage of the long day. And at Stonehenge every year, people gather to celebrate the summer solstice. Um, stone circles are thought to have links with um, the midsummer eve and the summer solstice. Um, and the alignment of the stones and the sun, but no one's actually certain that that's what they're for. But that's because there's no written um, evidence of, of that time. But it seems to be that they they do have some kind of alignment with with the sun at the summer solstice. And of course, that would have been celebrated because it marked the sort of change of the seasons, and it was uh, linked with with um, crop cycles as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I think with um, summer solstice and winter solstice, I've heard that the um, these stone circles, or certainly Stonehenge anyway, was um, used for. And uh, I guess if anyone is listening to this and has more information, it'd be really great to, uh, to hear from them. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Oh, I can share a little bit as well. Like I was going to share in Australia, we have um, like some stone arrangements um in victoria that were done by aboriginal people like thousands of years ago um there's a site called 
Wurdi Yuang. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's from the lands of the Wada Wurrung people. And the stones are arranged so that there's particular stones that are where the sun sets for the summer solstice, the equinox and the winter solstice. So there's a rich history um, within Aboriginal culture of knowing the stars and knowing when, where, when and where the sun will be um, over time. So that was really interesting for me to find out about because this, this place is not really well known and it's, um, it's not an um, advertised place. The location's kept secret and, um, yeah, so it's, but it is really special to know that um, Aboriginal people have like a whole cosmology and stories about the stars, stories about the solar eclipses and um, lunar eclipses and things too. So um, that varies probably across the different language groups, but um, yeah, there's a lot of richness there um, that these times of, of year were also significant for Aboriginal people um, going back generations and generations. Um, this, this site, um, they think, predates Stonehenge as well. So um, just really shows that there's like, yeah, this, this ancient wisdom. And it does yeah. kind of speak to a, a global, you know, a, I was going to say a global tradition that might be reaching a bit, but more of a, a deeper connection just with, with, with people and nature and the natural cycles that existed in prehistoric times. Yeah, you know, people were dependent on it, weren't they, to stay alive and to mm. make sure that their crops were successful and that they did things at the right time to make sure they had the best chance of, of the best harvest and things like that. So it would have been incredibly important. You can see why such a big deal was made out of all the natural cycles because it was it was just, you know, you had to kind of live by them yes. and, and be governed yeah. by them. Whereas yeah. now we try and control things and make it how we want it, not, yeah. you know, how it's meant to be. <laughs> yeah. 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 And in ancient times, mysticism and magic have been a common theme um, in around midsummer because magic was thought to be very strong during the summer solstice and uh, there was various myths telling stories of things like the world turning upside down or the sun standing still at midsummer so kind of a time when strange things would happen. Ronald Hutton who was a professor of history at the okay. University of Bristol put it it was seen as a time when the normal laws of nature or divinity could be suspended, when spirits and fairies could contact humans, when humans could exceed the usual limitations of their world. Things to look out for between now and our next podcast. June and July time in the UK are really great months to look for bats and moths at night because we get those nice warm nights, um, which really brings out the bats and moths. And of course, bats are predators of moths, so you would expect them kind of both to be in abundance at the same time. But quite often, bats and moths are quite difficult to observe because they're out really late at night, uh, it's dark. Um, so if you're not actively looking for them, often you, you don't see many at all. But if you or someone you know has got a bat detector or if there are any um, nature reserves nearby that uh, have, have uh, special bat events, it's really, really fun to go along to um, and to use a bat detector because they 
the bat detectors make bat calls distinguishable to the human ear because normally their little clicks and squeaks that they emit are very, very high pitched um, that they use to echolocate. Um, we can't normally hear them, but it, with a bat detector, it kind of transposes it down to a level where we can hear the little clicks and whistles. So it's absolutely fascinating. They sound kind of like bubbling noises or kind of clicking and making all kinds of whistles and things. It sounds very, very strange, but you can actually tell what species of bat it is from its call as well. So uh, if you go out with someone knowledgeable, as I say, at an event or if you know someone, it's absolutely fantastic. Definitely going to find one of those. Um, yeah. Yeah. Walks, yeah. Yeah. And similarly, moths. Um, we, we do see a few moths in the daytime. We have a few day flying moths um, like burnet moths, cinnabar, cinnabar moths. Um, and things like that. And also some of the commoner species like um, angle shades and yellow underwing moths, they come out sort of quite uh, early in the evening. So you can see some of them flying around just at dusk or just after it's gone dark. But there are some species, for example, the hawk moths, which are some of our big chunky moths, you know, privet hawk moths can be sort of three inches long. So they're quite hefty beasts. But they only come out really, really late at night. So quite often um, on nature reserves, they have moth mornings where they'll put out a moth trap at night, which is a bright light, um, usually with a funnel going down and then all egg boxes in the bottom or something for the moths to hide in. And the bright light attracts the moths and then they kind of crawl down into the bottom and then they'll hide until morning. So in the morning, then you go to your moth trap and they've all gone to sleep because it's daytime now. And then you just carefully lift out all the egg boxes and you find these amazing creatures hiding in there. And quite often they'll um, release them and sometimes let you hold them on your finger. Oh. So, and they're quite heavy, you know, there's a lot of meat on a moth. Meat on a moth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, they're very impressive so again it's a bit of a specialist event but i can definitely recommend looking out for them oh, they sound great this time of year is also the time when uh seals are having their pups off the east coast of england so uh, if you go along to one of the places like donnanook um in lincolnshire um, or there's quite a few sites on the Norfolk coast where you can go and see the seals um, and they're lovely white pups. Oh, very cute. Yeah, and they spend a couple of months feeding and getting putting on a lot of weight, the baby pups, because their mother's milk is so rich. But until they've uh, grown in size and got their adult coat on, they can't go in the sea. So you find them on the beach um, and you can get quite a good look at them at many of these places. So that's a really nice thing to look out for if you live near the East Coast or are holidaying around there. Uh, yeah, and I think there's something worth saying there for, for dog owners, isn't there? That if it is, if you do want to go and see the seals and the seal pups and you have dogs, don't take them with you. It's not a good idea to take dogs near, um, near seal pups. Um, and it's not a good idea to approach them too closely, you know, even if you haven't got dogs, because it can distress mm. the mothers and the babies. And sometimes if the mother gets frightened and goes off into the sea to escape, um, she may not be able to find her pup again. Oh. And the pup 
pups need to feed so much that if they don't feed for a little while, it can be quite detrimental to them. So yeah, if you want to go and see seals, go to an organized uh, seal viewing place um, and just keep a respectful distance from them, definitely. So Rachel, what, uh, what are you gonna be looking out for over the coming weeks and months? Um, well, here it's um, the whale migrating season. So keeping with the theme of oceans um, and, and sea life, yeah, the whales are migrating from Antarctica up north to warmer waters to breed. And so um, there's been some sightings kind of close to my house along the Bass Coast and um, along the um, ocean side of the Mornington Peninsula. So here we get humpback whales um, and also occasionally the killer whales chasing them. So, yeah, that's um, something to look out for. I've been following this Facebook page, Two Bays um, Research, where they kind of post up images of the different whales that they've found and um, there's certain markers so they can track on their tail. Each whale's tail is individual, so they track the different whales and can see where they have been in previous seasons compared to now. So that was also really cool to, um, to discover. Yeah, and then in terms of plant life, there's there's things flowering at this time along the coast as well. Um, the pig face is flowering and they have beautiful yellow and bright purple flowers um, and look really lovely. And also in the bush, um, kangaroo apple or bush tomato, um, they're starting to fruit. And the hackiers, oh, I love hackiers. They're like, have these beautiful flowers, bright colours, and then the seed pods are really distinct as well um, so you can see them and also corias I've seen some beautiful corias when I've been out walking in the forest and they're kind of upside down bell-shaped flowers um, and quite beautiful to look at as well in these kind of bush bushy kind of um, plants. So just um, something that we'd like to invite you to do uh, between now and our next podcast we'd like just to invite you to be mindful of the nature around you and just noticing the changes that happen as the sun gets gradually lower in the skies. And if you sowed some seeds and set gold in the spring, perhaps uh, through listening to this podcast, now's the time to take the two next steps to further this process. First, as we're at the halfway point, it's a really good time to revisit and review your goals and just ask yourself, how, how far have I come and what have I already achieved? Um, am I still aligned with these goals? And what can I do and refresh, to refresh and revitalize them? Secondly, the, uh, the post-solstice period is the natural time for um, consolidation and the maturation of crops where they ripen and uh, approach harvest so again in terms of our goals we can ask uh, what are my next steps to achieve the goals uh, what can i do to bring them to fruition and what can i do to complete this process or cycle uh, and what will this give me and i guess in this if you're in the south and we're not talking about bringing things to fruition it's really about how can we how can we best use what has borne fruit for us so that might be on a literal basis so um, you might want to think about preserving 
the, the, the fruit that you've harvested, maybe making jams and preserves, but also the, the goals that you set, you've set, uh, the projects and uh, aspirations that you set, set out to achieve earlier in the year. So just reflecting on which of those you'd like to retain that can best support you and enable you to go forward uh, into the next season. Uh, over, you, over to you, Holly. So we'd really love to hear from you about how you're getting on, um, whether you're enjoying our podcasts um, and what you're experiencing in nature. If you'd like to get in touch, you can leave a message on Andy's Facebook page, which is Natural Inclusion. You can also email Andy, which is andy at natural-inclusion.org, or you can go to the Seasonal Sensations podcast page on Anchor and leave us a voice message using the message button. Thanks, Holly. Um... And uh, thanks to you, Rachel, for... Uh all the lovely things that you've shared on this podcast. Uh, it'd be really great to connect with you again. And um, until our next show, just stay sensational.